our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? Is the blood running through your veins this morning? Are you alive? Then your call this morning is to bring your body as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable worship. It's the least we can do. It's not unreasonable to bring our bodies before him, to use our bodies in worship, to engage our hearts in worship. It's not worship if you don't engage the whole of who you are. If you don't think about the words that you sing so that they penetrate your heart, it's not worship. It's just singing a song. It's not worship if you don't put yourself in the words, if you don't engage with the commitment that you're singing about, if you don't make some engagement. We're told to present our bodies, our bodies, our minds, our spirit, the whole of who we are, we're given different positions in spirits to, in the scriptures to use our bodies, lift our hands, bow down, kneel, prostrate, dance, clap. In other words, use your human physical body to worship me because I made you. I made humanity. Use your body to worship me. And it's such a humbling thing, isn't it? when we feel there's an appropriate response like kneeling or prostrating ourselves before God, that our pride wants to stop us doing that and we start to say, but what will people think? That's the whole point. is to break us and humble us in his presence and us say, I may look stupid doing it. I may feel stupid doing it, God, but I'm going to do it anyway because you are worthy. You are worth it. So bring your bodies and bring your minds. It's a reasonable worship. Think through what you're singing. We sang in that song there about my, your praise will ever be on my lips. Let's not just sing it over and over. Actually think of circumstances that could be ahead of you in your life or that you're in now. Think about losing something you love. And then put yourself in that place and say, your praise will ever be on my lips. Think about what would happen, how you would feel if you lost your job. Then put yourself in there and offer it to God and say, your praise then, Lord, will ever be on my lips. We do some significant spiritual Encounters when we come and we truly engage in worship and don't just stand here and fill a pew space and go through the motions. Doesn't matter whether you're musical or not. Doesn't matter whether you like that particular song or not. Doesn't matter whether you think you have a good voice. It's not about the music. It's about the whole thing. Present your bodies. Use it to examine. We should use it to examine our lives. Lord, what sin is in my life? I can't stand here and worship you and be intentionally sinning in my life. How can we do that in the presence of a holy God? This is our time to do business with him. 
This is our time to make transactions and repent of sin and to offer that change of heart as a living sacrifice to him. It's reasonable. It's the least we can do. It's a very minimal that we can do. So as we continue, and Erin leans us so sensitively, let's just engage our minds, engage our spirits, engage our bodies, the whole of who we are, a living sacrifice to him. Amen. Father, I do truly look forward to the day where we we do lose control. Where we really truly worship with all abandon. Where we do truly seek you with all of our heart. Where we do truly worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, help us to get there. Show us. Open up our hearts to be able to have the capacity to worship you in the way that you're worthy of. Show us, Father, the things that so easily beset us. The weights that hold us back from fully expressing our love for you. There is no other name. There is no other name that is worthy of praise. There is no other God beside our God. And Father, I pray that our desire to lift up that name, to honor you as God in our life, overwhelms us to the point of complete abandon. That's what we desire. That's what I desire. Your will be done. Your will be done, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Like I say, I had planned on teaching on something, but realized uh, two days ago that that wasn't going to happen, needed to go in a different direction. And I want you to first open up to Romans, uh, how about chapter 8? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Let's go to let's go to chapter eight. It seems like a good place to start. Just because, just because, Romans chapter eight, beginning with verse eighteen, been there many times. Will be there many times to come. It says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. I asked the kids a question this last weekend in line with verse 20. Let me read that to you again. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who subjected the creation to futility? Who caused the earth to go into futility? Exactly. If you didn't hear that, Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned, it wasn't God who subjected this earth to futility. It wasn't God's plan that that sin would enter this world. But when sin entered the world, the earth was subjected to futility. It became damaged. It started to die. The human beings dying was not the only curse that came from sin. That's a terrible curse. I mean, that's a terrible part of the curse. But it wasn't the only part of the curse. Because of man's sin, the creation itself began to die, began to wither, began to, to uh, uh, parts of it that were meant for glory became evil. Black flies. Big horse flies. Those, you know those big monster ones that if you don't catch them, they'll eat part of your arm off? We hit the hatch this week. Mr. Shackley had a couple hours free time, and so everybody else was in charge. He went to do a little rock hounding this weekend. He came back, and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. I almost didn't make it back to the car. He went out in shorts and a t-shirt into the north woods during, during horsefly hatch. What was he thinking? It didn't deter him. Later in the weekend, you see him getting all bundled up, man. He had long sleeves and long pants and he had a hat and he had spray and he goes, I'm going in, okay? But one of the questions he asked me is, one of the things I got to know from God is what's the deal with horseflies? Well, the answer is they they actually had a, a purpose for glory before the fall. Mosquitoes, thistles, poison ivy. No. <laughs> These things did not come about after the fall. They were here before the fall, but they had purposes of glory. But because of what man's sin did, because man chose to not listen to God, 
to not obey God, to not, to not honor Him with their life and their trust and their belief that, that He understands things that they don't know. He, all He said was, don't eat that fruit. Mm-hmm. That's all He said. He says, don't do that. He didn't say, well, He did say, He says, don't do that. If you do that, you will die. But He didn't tell them why. Did you notice that? He doesn't tell them why. Well, because there's a certain kind of flavor in it that you won't desire. No, he just said, if you eat that, you're going to die. Don't eat it. What was it about the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did it not taste good? No, because Eve said she perceived that it looked good and it's going to taste good. And I'm pretty sure it did because if she would have eaten and it didn't taste good, she would well, maybe she would have given it to her husband. I don't know, but... looked at you when I said that. I'm really sorry. That's, that is not what I meant. Not, I had meant nothing by that whatsoever. But the sin of man, the sin, the very thing that God said, don't do that. He didn't say why, he just said don't do it. He also didn't ask man, he says, hey, uh, Adam, is there anything out there you don't want? Because I'll make that off limits. He didn't ask his opinion. He didn't care. God doesn't care whether you like it or not. Truth is truth. Lie is lie. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. He paints the line and he says, don't cross it. Don't cross the line. It's simple. It's really actually very simple. Especially when it's the God of all the universe who with his very words the breath of his mouth created things that did not exist the moment before. Oh my goodness. You talk about just getting a, a sense of the awesomeness of God. Think about the universe being created by a word spoken by a being. Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy. And it doesn't matter whether you think it's right or wrong. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. It doesn't matter whether 10 of you think that it's wrong and 15 of you think it's right. It doesn't make it right. Do you see where I'm going today? I don't want to go here. But I have to go here. Why? Why do I have to Why do I have to say the things I have to say today? Because our society has forced the church to take a stand. And when society forces the hand and you leave us no other choice, then we're going to stand. A number of decades ago, there was a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He lived in Germany in the 1930s. I want to read, and I can't find a better way to do this this morning other than to read, the parag- the, the, read the, a part of this article. But it says it so eloquently, and I'm going to skip a few parts, not because of content, but just because of time.
In Germany on April 7, 1933, the newly minted Third Reich sought to reorganize every aspect of life along National Socialist lines. By passing the law on the reconstruction of the professional civil service, the third clause of the decree included the now infamous Aryan paragraph, a legal provision prohibiting non-Aryan Jews, in other words, from being employed in any capacity in the German state. As a result, all Jews in civil service were summarily dismissed. The government policy had an additional consequence. Since the German church was a state church, the edict had implication for pastors. If the Reichshire, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, Reichskeier, Reichskreich, I can't do German. <laughs> Approve the Aryan paragraph, then the Jewish converts to Christianity holding leadership in local churches would likewise be discharged. Pastors all over the country would be forced out. The general mood in national in the nation favored the paragraph. This was not because every German was deeply racist. Far from it. At this stage, is at this stage in the rule of the Reich, generally they were they were more pro-Aryan than anti-Semitic. They were nationalists, embracing their Führer's pledge of restored respect for Germany and renewal of the glory lost them in the humiliation of Versailles. Many in the Reichstag. <laughs> What that is, and I'm sorry for making light of it because this is a serious topic, it was the state church. It was the state church. Many in that church embraced the edict heartily. A strong Germany meant a strong German church. Though technically the Aryan paragraph was inconsistent with the evangelical church constitution, they signed off on it. It seemed a small theological concession in light of the benefits gained by making peace with the Nazis and abetting the national program of peace, prosperity, and unity. One Reich, one people, one church. Regardless of the rationalizations, the Aryan paragraph had enormous strategic significance for the church. Something a 27-year-old Lutheran pastor saw immediately. Diedrich Bonhoeffer understood what was at stake long before most did. Ultimately, the Aryan paragraph would exclude every ethnically Jewish Christian from the community of God. Yet in Christ's church there is neither Jew nor Greek. Whether they be Jews or Gentiles, followers of Christ were all baptized into one body. Bonhoeffer saw that the Arian paragraph contradicts the clear meaning of the Scriptures. He also saw the affirming it would eventually place the entire church under de facto secular rule. Ultimately, the gospel itself 
was at stake. So Bonhoeffer resisted. He reasoned, he argued, he cajoled, he wrote letters, he preached sermons, and he engaged. He prayed, he hoped, he waited. Finally, when all had been done, to no avail, avail, he simply said, no. He would not agree to the Arian paragraph. He would not support it. He would not endorse it. Instead, he would oppose it with every means available. He would defy it with grace and with courage. He said, we must shake off our fear of this world. The cause of Christ is at stake. And we, and are we, to be found sleeping. This last week, uh, a line was drawn in the sand. This statement, this sermon, this morning, is not, please hear me. This is not anti-homosexual. In any way, shape, form, I have friends who are homosexual and I love them. If this, if this sermon was about the sin of homosexuality, because homosexuality is a sin, then I'd also have to talk about your sins. The sin of lying. The sin of cheating. The sin of not worshiping the way we should. And we'll talk about those also in due season. This, this sermon is not about anti-homosexual marriage. Because outside of the body of Christ, people do all kinds of things that I don't agree with. And if they're not in the body of Christ, we cannot hold them to the same standard. I would never want to hold them to the same standard. They have no reason to be held to that standard. This sermon is actually not about what our government did this about passing homosexual marriage. Let them do whatever they want. And I'm sorry, but you just heard me say, let them, let them do whatever they want. Because when that government started doing that, it's not my government anymore. Oh, wait a second, Pastor John. Now you're getting radical. No, I love this country. I love this country. God bless America. But what they did this week was evil. And I wouldn't care if it was our government or the government of Russia or the government of Rome or of any other government. It doesn't matter. God calls leaders to lead with righteousness. By righteous standards. True and and, and real. Honorable standards. 
Remember I said at the beginning, God didn't ask Adam whether he wanted to eat of the tree or not or whether he thought it was an okay thing to do. He set a standard. I didn't set the standards. I didn't set the standards that you can't cheat on your wife. I didn't set the standards that you can't lie to the, to the IRS and cheat them out of money. I didn't set the standards that you can't walk into a bank, pull a gun. But it's the standards. It's the, it's, it's the law. The, the, the Spirit of God is truth and righteousness and life. And He said homosexuality is a sin. Just like you're lying. Just like your doubt. Just like, okay, okay, mine. My sin. And I'm not railing against sin right now. What I'm railing is, don't ask me ever to condone my sin or your sin. I'm never going to say, it's okay, just go ahead and keep cheating on your wife. It's, it's, God will love you anyway. It's sin. It's sin whether, maybe you love that other woman. It's still sin. Maybe you plan on being monogamous with that other woman for the rest of your life. It's still sin. Just like everybody else's sin. Don't ask the church to in any way, shape, or form ever put your, our stamp of blessing on that person's sin. Because we won't do it. What the justices did this week, I don't care if it's legal or not. That's not my deal. It really isn't my deal. But what they did is they sinned against God. And if the church doesn't stand for truth, then it doesn't stand. So this last week, when that happened, I, it's just one of those things where you, you, you read it online and you sit back and you just kind of go, okay, that didn't just happen, did it? Even though you knew it was going to happen. It's the world we live in. It's the, it's the wages of sin. You knew. I mean, the Bible says, you want to read the book of Revelation and just have a wonderful afternoon. <laughs> sin is going to become more and more rampant. It just stinks that it had to happen during our lifetime, didn't it? But, you know, there was just as much sin 40 years ago as there is now. People just weren't as vocal about it. I mean, I've heard some stories. I've heard stories of what used to go on out in the country, because I lived out in the country, and you'd hear about things, and you go, you are kidding me. It's just you didn't put it on television and then ask everybody else to say it's okay. Sin is sin. Sin's always been sin. 
Before the flood, I think the verse says that every thought and intention of man was evil. Every thought, every intention, every act of man was evil. Nothing was righteous. Do you know how many righteous people there were before the flood? Right before the flood? How many do you think, how many righteous people were there? The only one who was righteous before God was Noah. Praise God for Noah. Millions and millions and millions and millions of people had the, had the opinion that what they were doing was just fine and legal and, and just wonderful. And they were all wrong. But because of that one righteous man taking a stand, he saved, I think, eight, if, you, if I do the math right. And math isn't my strongest suit. So one can make a difference. One person standing. One person declaring truth. Everyone else was destroyed, but they made it through and saved the human race. Praise God for righteous people who will take a stand. But we, we saw this, and during one of our breaks, we were sitting around and talking about it and just wondering lots of things. <laughs> just, all the things you were, you were wondering this week also. And a question was asked, and it wasn't asked out loud, which was interesting. One of the people at the table said, told me afterwards, they said they had a thought, they had a, they had a, a question that went through their mind. And that question was this. How do we live in a postmodern America? How do we live and survive and participants in, a, in an America, in a world that is clearly post-Christian? What is our purpose now? What is the plan? What is the next thing that we should do? Now, I want to be clear. <laughs> I'm trying to decide which angle to come at first. Take the high one or the low one? I'll just, I'll just take the hard one first. The government's not the answer. The government's the problem. You can't vote in enough people. I'm just going to tell you right now, you cannot vote enough people in to turn this around. It's tipped. It's the truth. I'm sorry. I wish I could be more of an optimist, but I'm not. Why? It's not because America is bankrupt. It's because the world is bankrupt. Man is bankrupt. And anything that is based not on Christian values, Christian principles, Christian life is bankrupt. And it will always produce death. We started out great. 
We started out amazing. One God. One nation. Under God. Indivisible. The problem is that once we were not under God anymore, which happened a while ago, it didn't happen last week, we all of a sudden became susceptible to divisible. Our country is divided. Our world is divided. Not in Democrat and Republican. Not in conservative and liberal. But in light and darkness. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. This is not a political solution. This isn't even a political problem. It's not. It's not a political problem. It's a human heart problem. And because it's a human heart problem, you cannot legislate it. You cannot pass enough laws to write this ship. You can't do it fast enough. But that doesn't mean, and here's, I think that was the low cut. I think that was the take out the knees statement. Here's the Here's the, the other side of it, just to give you a little bit of balance. If you feel, if it's your heart to make, to write letters, to, to, to support candidates, please do that. But in, I'm, I'm not talking from a personal level. I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote. Oh, am I going to vote? <laughs> oh, am I going to vote? And you need to vote. And if Christians, you know why we're in this state? Because Christians laid down their responsibility. But I'm preaching to the crowd. Well, that too. Hey, I, I drove in from Wisconsin at 12:30 last night. Okay, I just my everything's not there yet. I was preaching to the choir. But at least you're listening. That's awesome. That's good. So this person had this question in their mind, and, and then that night I was preaching, and I, and I shared this verse I'm about, or this series of verses I'm about to share, and they came up to me afterwards, and they went, well, you answered my question. I said, what question? And then we discussed it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. What is our purpose? What is our strategy? What is the church's responsibility today? Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. Now, give you a little setup. You probably know this already, but you know, for those that you don't, for the TV audience. The setup is this. Jesus has died resurrected, spent 50 days, 40 days, spent 40 days on the earth, told the guys what to do, Here's now it's in your hands, then he went off, went to heaven. Told them, don't leave, don't leave, get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming, and when he does, he's going to give you power to be witnesses. <clears throat> he's going to give you power to be a witness. 
So they did that. They waited and the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. came and filled them and, and immediately the most timid among them became one of the greatest preachers. Now, don't, 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 because I just, I could sense it in the spirit. I could just, I almost said force, but you know, I just, well, you know what I mean. Don't, when you hear he became one of the greatest preachers, don't go, click, that's not me. I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I wished I could say what I would say to the kids up at camp. See, I'm in that mode, so if I say some words that may not be appropriate for adult audiences, I'm just because I'm in the mode and I'm tired. Yes, you are preachers of the gospel. You're not going to stand in a pulpit, maybe. You're not going to stand on a corner and shout it to the world. But to every person you meet, you are a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You do not. You don't get to disqualify yourself. I'm in a mood today. So I'm going to say it straight. You don't get to disqualify yourself from having the responsibility of preaching the gospel. It wasn't just the apostles' job. It wasn't just the disciples' job. It wasn't just the evangelist's job. It wasn't just the pastor's job. Our job is to train up the saints to do the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? It isn't parking cars and, and serving cookies. That's, that's family chores. That's, that's being a part of a community and, and making sure that things run smoothly. The work of the gospel is the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ's gospel and for his message to reach ears that will never hear it. In your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, in all the places that you go. And these guys, all they're doing is doing what Jesus told them to do. They're going out and they're preaching. Now, you have to hear their message. What's really interesting, when you listen to their messages, whether it's Peter's message or whether it's Stephen's message, or whether it's one, you know, at any time when it's their message, their message isn't just, Jesus loves you. They weren't that nice. He does love them. Just like he loves everybody. He loves homosexuals. He loves bank thieves. He loves me. He does love people. But their message was, the Son of God came to this earth and preached a message of grace and love and, and, and forgiveness, and you killed him. That was their message. You can see why they were mad. But don't worry, it's okay. It was part of the plan. He raised from the dead, and he's still alive. Can you imagine those leaders, what was going through their head? We killed the Son of God. You're blaming us for killing the Son of God. And now you're saying He's alive and can do something about it. And He's God. There might have been a little bit of intimidation going on there. It says these guys would come into, into towns, into communities, and turn things upside down. We don't do enough turning upside down in our communities. Why? Because we're quiet and passive, and that's somebody else's job. I'll just, I'll pray. I'll give some money here and there. No. Each and every one of us. This whole weekend up at camp was about telling these kids, and they caught it. That they are more than conquerors. That they are 
anointed by the living God to do great exploits, to change this world, the world that they have influence in. That they have the anointing and the, and the, the giftings and the callings and, and all they need is the confidence to take that first step out. That's all we need is the confidence that the message is right. But what's the message? That's the deal. What is our purpose? What's the message supposed to be? It isn't vote right, folks. It's not the message. We're past that. It's too late. Actually, it never was the message. That's why, the, that's why we're in the state we're in, is we thought we could do it socially. The gospel is not a social gospel. The gospel is a gospel of power. The gospel is a gospel of purity and holiness. The gospel is a gospel of anointing and the spirit of a living God, changing sinners from the inside out, not from the outside in. And somehow the church decided that if we just nice enough to people and we help people enough, they'll, they'll follow us. No, they won't. It's proven. We screwed it up. The church. So these guys start preaching anyway. They get arrested. They go before the the. the powers that be, whatever, the Sanhedrin or whoever the, the group was. And those guys threatened him and said, from here on out, here's the rule. Here's the law. You don't get to preach that anymore. Stop preaching in that name. Peter and John looked at him and said, well, here's the deal. You say don't do it. The God of all creation says do do it. I'm with him. They get released. And they go back to their people, and this is where it picks up in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, threatened them, threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. They did finally, eventually find a way to punish them. Do you know that? Because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When they got together and prayed, they didn't pray, God, change our government. Change the Sanhedrin. Get those guys out of there so we can have good people in the Sanhedrin who will let the gospel of Jesus Christ come in. They didn't pray that the next time there was a vote that they would all that the that the community would vote that Jesus could be the name that somebody preaches in. They cannot, they knew that it was had nothing to do with changing it socially. What they prayed for was God give us boldness. Not give us boldness to attack homosexuals. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. They are people. This this war that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against that person. It's not against my friend and my friend and my friend and my my acquaintance. It's not against them. It has nothing to do with them other than they're in sin. Their eyes are blinded. And that's truth. That's not hatred. That's just truth. That's if, that's if you have a, 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 a nasty knack of, of uh, uh, stealing stuff off the internet. Copyrighted material. That's sin. I don't care if you, well, I don't mean, I don't mean to do it maliciously. Well, you did it, okay? You're downloading music you shouldn't be downloading. It's sin. Stop it. Jaywalking. Oh, now, Pastor John, now we're meddling. Speeding. I repent. I speeded this morning. I was late. I sped. I for- God forgives. Praise the Lord. But it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that, oh, it's okay because it was a spiritual reason why I sped. And God loves speeders. I'm not upset because it's about homosexuality. I really wish it was about something else. I really wish it was about a different topic. But it isn't about homosexuality. It isn't. What it is, it's a direct attack because this is not the final step. I don't have to be a prophet to tell you this is not the final step. This is a step in the process for the church to be forced to bless whatever the world system wants us to bless. Back in Diedrich Bonhoeffer's day, it wasn't about the Jews. It was about the world system dictating to the church, you will will validify, validate, Valedictorian, I don't know. You will validate. Our mindset. No. Just like I wouldn't, if my wife said, 
Here, eat this fruit. Oh, I love fruit. Adam, what he did was he went, oh, okay, sure, I'll validate it, kachonka. And it brought death. It isn't that he didn't love... If he'd have said, no, no, Eve, we're not going to do that. Well, she said, well, I already did. I don't care. We are not going to do that. But because he validated it, sin, the world, and us began to die. This is not about any lifestyle, any person. It just happens to be the one that they chose to draw the line in the sand for. And it could have been anything. We want equal rights for thieves. They were born that way. They can't help but steal things. And God loves everybody, so we need to love them and to not judge them because they can't help but steal. When you put it in that light, you see the foolishness of this. Well, he can't help it. He just can't help. He loves women. He loves his wife. But he also loves the other woman down at the market. The checkout lady on aisle number four. He just loves her and he can't help it because he was born a man. And he can't just he just can't help but walk by her and smell that perfume baby. <laughs> oh what you do to me. And he loves her. God, God, of course God wants to bless love. How could we tell him not to have an extramarital, or to have two wives? Or three? Or four? Or to marry a dog? Oh, that's vile, Pastor John. I can't believe you went there. Mark my words. Watch it. My dog? I know it. Isn't that? Isn't? Oh! Sorry, you didn't hear that, but it's actually a political statement. I probably shouldn't repeat it. He goes, my dog needs health insurance. The lunacy. The lunacy. But it's sin. They can't help it. You couldn't help it before. How many things did you justify before you were saved? I, you want, should I list all the things I justified before I was saved? Well, of course God wants me to smoke pot. He created marijuana, didn't He? It's natural. I mean, all those chemicals, that's man-made. Of course that's sin. But marijuana and mushrooms. Don't, he keeps going. No! It's natural. God created it for all of us to. I, I saw guys with t shirts that said that. I may have even owned one at one point. I don't know. No, I didn't really want to mess with God back then because I knew the difference. I knew, I knew, you know, I knew what I was doing was sin. I didn't care, but I knew it was sin. I knew you don't mess with God. 
I pretty much stayed away from anything blasphemous. But we can rationalize anything. The answer to this is not a, a legal one. The answer to this is not a political one. The answer to this is a spiritual one. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to say, I, I wished I could be more optimistic. I can't because I know I've read the book. I've read the book and it continues to wax cold. It continues to get worse to the point where it's absolute depravity in every way, un, unyielded, un, unfettered. The only hope we have is to do exactly what these guys did. Father, give us the boldness to preach your word. Not in a pulpit. Get that out of your mind. That's done. This, this pulpit ministry, this meeting is for believers. It's for strategy, to build you up, to encourage you, to, to, to get together corporately and worship the one true God with no hindrances. It's to come in here and to get filled up with the power of God and to go out there and start, start oozing out on everybody around you. To come against, to come find somebody who, who's oppressed by the devil and say, hey, can I help you? God's, God has anointed me has given me the tools and the power and the anointing to help set you free. And His name is Jesus Christ. That's the only preaching you need to know. Because they asked for boldness to preach the gospel, and they asked that signs and wonders would be wrought. How did they get in this mess? Because of sign and a wonder. They, they healed this guy in the name of Jesus. It brought attention. That's what this is about. It isn't about changing the culture from the outside in. It's about changing the culture one person at a time from the inside out. And any time, I'm going to tell you right straight up, any time we spend trying to do it the other way, as we're not going to do it corporately. This church will not do that corporately. We just won't. You can do it individually. I'm going to do the things that I'm, I'm moved to do, and I'm going to do them, trust me. But as the body of Christ, the answer for the body of Christ is not political. It is spiritual. The gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's it. The line is in the sand. We don't get to play games anymore. This became real. Just like Diedrich Bonhoeffer understood the intention. The intention was not to lift up German morale. The intention was to eradicate God's people from the earth. Just like this ruling is not about to give people freedom. Do whatever you want. I don't, that part doesn't matter. From, as, from, a, from a church standpoint, from a Christian standpoint, do whatever you want. But do not ask me to validate your sin. Because I will not do it. What does that mean practically? What does that mean practically? That means we need to start walking in love more than ever before. People that we know 
that struggle with this sin and every sin, we need to love them more than we have ever loved them before. Because it is the goodness of God, it is the love of God that draws men to repentance. But even more importantly, we need to be strategically, every day, every one of us. Remember, what, I've been saying this for years, a couple of years now. Every person you meet, every, every opportunity, how does God want the gospel presented to that person right now, right here? Every one of us. But what does that mean practically for us? I don't know yet, and I can't make a public statement yet. I, we will. We have to. It needs to be documented what we will do and what we will not do. And there are, we've talked about this within leadership. We've talked about it for a couple of years, seeing this coming. Because it isn't about, it is not about equality. It's about, we're going to make your church marry us. And we're not going to do it. We will not do it. We will not. We will close the doors, go underground, and see a revival that will shake this world. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices, and we are not handcuffed to any man's rules. We are not of this world. Oh, and if anybody's watching by television, don't take that as, they're going kooky. They're going to go underground. I bet they're stockpiling. No. This warfare, this war is not carnal. It's not about flesh and blood. We will not hurt another human being ever. This is about the kingdom of God. The truth and the light and the life of Jesus Christ being preached in every area, every corner, every nook, every cranny. And it doesn't take a building to do that. God bless the Chinese church. They have figured it out. We need to figure it out. We need to not sit on our hands any longer. And we need to be the church. And in the time we have left, that is our focus. Training, preparing to be the church even when leaders are arrested. Even when, oh, you won't do that? We're shutting down your church. We're taking away your, we're taking away your, your tax-free status. Oh. oh, do it, man. Just go for it. Remember what I said about gas? How many years ago when gas got up to $3 a gallon? I said, bring on four. Because when he does, God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. I am not moved by carnal things. Take away the church. Take away the status. The, the, the stat, watch the church grow. Watch the kingdom of God explode in this valley. Persecute us. Go for it. See what happens. Who am I supposed to fear? You or God? The world or God? The government or God? I, I, don't, I don't fear man. Take away everything I have. Put me in prison. You can't change the message. Because the message didn't come from me. The message comes from one higher than me.
And when we have that, that understanding and that standpoint, there is nothing, nothing that will defeat us. Let's stand. Father, right now I, I lift up the Supreme Court of our country. Father, we bless, we bless them in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask you to open the eyes of their understanding, that they be filled with light. Father, we forgive them for making decisions that, that are contrary to your word. But if they don't know you, they, they can't be held. They're, they're not responsible. They don't have that basis of truth and life. So, Father, we ask you for their salvation. We ask you for mercy and love to be poured out on them. Father, we ask for mercy and love to be poured out on our congressmen and women, the senators, both at the national and the state level. Pour out an anointing upon them. Pour out revival in their midst. We'll fix them. Father, get them saved. Bring people to cross their path. Bring people to preach the gospel that they will see truth and then they'll have the boldness. Well, Lord, we pray for boldness for them. We pray for boldness for the ones that are believers and are standing. That they will have the strength to not, not fail, to not give up. Father, we lift up President Obama. Bless him, Father. Open the eyes of his understanding. Fill him with light. Bring advisors across his path daily who are salt and light. Father, we ask for his salvation. Bless him, Father, with salvation. Father, we pray for the homosexual community. Father, I pray for love. They're seeking love, Father. Let's give them love. Love that is overwhelming. Love that is not judgmental. But love that tells them what the truth is. Just like I tell my kids the truth. Love. Pour out. Revival, Father. Father, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what's happening in the Muslims across this world. Where I've been hearing reports of record numbers of Muslims coming to you supernaturally. Father, we ask for the same thing in the homosexual community. We pray for revival to break out. We pray for, for life and life more abundantly for them. Healings. Healings, healings, blessings, provision. And Father, lastly, I pray for us. Father, even as those early disciples prayed, Father, Father give us boldness. Give us boldness to preach the gospel. Give us boldness to stand for truth. And Lord, I, just all these verses just start flooding in. That when Satan floods in, comes in like a flood, 
that you raise up a standard against him. That the strength is not our strength, but it's you holding back the tide. It's you holding back the pressure. Father, give us wisdom that in that moment, in that moment, when we need to give an answer, that you said you would put the words in our mouth. And that we will speak with love, we'll speak with eloquence, and we'll speak with power. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Not because we're anything special, Lord. It's not because we're better than anybody. It's because we understand we're forgiven. And we have the right, as sons and daughters of God, to take a stand for you. And a responsibility. Thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.